And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 145, season two, episode 13. This is M, and I've stolen the show away. Rich is here tied up and gagged and speechless. <coughs> hey. <laughs> Okay, so I've taken over the show. MC is out of out of the state. So I'm here on my own running the show all by myself. Yay me. And I think what we're going to talk about first is my parking meter experience. So a few weeks ago, I pulled up to a parking meter which I park up park at at least twice a week because I go and visit um, some people that I work with. And I have actually had two parking tickets in the past because my meter had expired minutes as I was trying to get to the car because sometimes meetings run long. And I submitted the correct paperwork. I submitted payments and, you know, I paid the parking tickets. Now, twice it's happened to me in one year and I do my best to be out there, set a timer, you know, pay, overpay, do do what I need to do. It's unfortunate, though, that the parking only allows me to pay two hours at a time. Anyway, so two weeks ago, I pull up to the meter, I put in the change for my two hours. And when I put in the last coin, the parking meter breaks. And all of a sudden, the no parking sign comes up. And I was really bummed because now I have to go and find another parking meter and put in more change. And so I decided I wasn't going to do this on mere principle because not only did I have to pay two parking tickets at $35 each prior, um, you know, I, like I said, I park at these parking meters at least twice a week and I'm pretty on it. Like I carry extra roller quarters just to make sure that I have enough change. So I decided to call the parking meter office and after getting switched through several departments, and looking on the website, I found out that the right people that are supposed to handle these types of calls and complaints is the police department. So I actually had to call 911 and talk to a police operator who then told me the only thing that they could do is send a policeman to the scene, which I found very puzzling because I would think that a police officer would have better things to do than help someone with a parking meter that's broken. I also thought that since the parking meter was broken, I wanted to just leave my car there. I had paid, um, run to go to my meeting and then come back. But again, I like I said, I didn't want to end up with a $35 ticket. I find this very, 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 I guess, a misappropriation of funds in my mind and a waste of my time. Um, I did luck out, though. I kind of got frustrated. I kicked the meter, and something must have happened, and the coin finally went through. It came back on. I got my time, so I didn't actually have to wait for the police officer uh, to arrive. I called them back and told them, never mind. But at before the meter got fixed, I actually was ready to have the police officer come down to that point because I was thinking if the city and county wants to spend this much money on um, sending a police officer to handle the situation, that's fine. That's kind of my gripe right now for the week. I don't have that much more to say about that. And Rich is starting to look at me kind of weird. Oh my gosh. Rich, stop that. Uh-oh. I think he's loose. Someone help me. Ah! And I'm back. Uh, if, if you can't tell, we're just joking. I, I was only tied up for a little bit, and that was for an entirely different reason. Um, but I was listening to her rant uh, on the parking meter situation. Um and yes, 
you know, I, I kind of agree with her that it's it's a, a misappropriation of resources. Yes, number one. Um, but fuck it, waste it. You know, if if that's if that's what you have to do, you know, in order to to get something done, then please, by all means, like waste their resources, get them away from whatever else they're doing and, and you know, whatever other harm they can cause. Um, and I think part of it is just the way Hawaii is run. Like, I don't know where the police department, how they operate, where you're at. Um, but at least in Hawaii, even if you just want to talk to a police officer, like you can't call the a non-emergency line. Like Hawaii does not have a non-emergency police line to talk to cops. So even if you're like not in danger and it's not an emergency, you still have to call 911. Um, so the, the system is purposefully set, you know, in such a way that they're going to be misappropriating resources and misallocating time um, with cops because they you you have to call the, you have to tie up the emergency line for a non-emergency um, and at this point like I said you know if, if that's what you have to do to protect yourself uh, then by all means you know tie up the line as much as possible um, now I don't want to catch flack for you know like oh but you're an anarchist why would you ever call the police um, well be, you know in, in this case to protect yourself. Um, and because there are no other alternatives allowed, right? We, we, you know, we talk about, uh, government monopolies versus natural monopolies, all you want. Um, the police have a government granted monopoly on, on, you know, protection services in that respect. Um, so there's, there's no one else to call and no one else allowed to operate, um, at least here where we live. So if you, if you have that sort of situation, you know, you, you have to call the police. Well, just just for accurate facts, I, I do want to just clarify that when I did call nine after I was told to call nine one one, there is an option for non emergent calls, so they do I guess triage the calls. However, as I had mentioned before, I thought it was a shame that you would have to send a police officer all the way out to where I was located just to fix a parking meter. I feel like if there's a I, there should be like a department for, to handle parking meter issues and they should be available because they have little cars that drive around town and give tickets. So those have those people should be able to, I don't know, get, be gotten a hold of or something. OK, well, if there's a non-emergency option for 911, then that's a recent change within the last, I want to say, year and a half, um, because it was not my experience before. And most recently for me, when I had to get my moped out of impound, um, if you're a longtime listener, you're already familiar with that situation and accident. So I don't want to get into that. Um, but for, you know, to, to file the insurance claim um, with my attorneys, they said, you got to, you got to, we, the insurance company wants to see the moped. And I said, I don't have it. Um, they said, well, where is it? I said, I don't know. And then they said, well, you have to file a police report um, that it was stolen. And I said, well, okay. You know, and then who who do you call to file a police report for a non-emergency, right? So I had to call nine one one, and the options I got was you know police, fire, ambulance. And I said police, but this is not an emergency. And they said, well, it doesn't matter. You, you, we're transferring you over to police. Um, and then there was there was no other reduction, um, you know, or or triage as you put it to get to a non-emergency line. So. Um, Kudos to them if they've added that feature because it's stupid uh, to have to call 911 for a non-emergency rather than just, you know, the police department main line. Um, 
what else was I going to say? Oh yeah. So the parking meter itself, you know, tie up their time as much as you can. Um, one thing I did notice about the parking meters, uh, in certain areas of town here, and they've done something that I think makes it very convenient, um, for the, uh, parking meter enforcement to recognize uh, expired meters. And then I was thinking like, how can we hack this? And, and how can we like just mess with this situation? So if you notice, if you're driving down certain areas of town, I'm sure this is going to be implemented elsewhere when, you know, when, when tax money becomes available, um, in certain areas of town, each meter, uh, facing the road has like a little led blinking light, like green or red. Right. Uh, and I'm sure green means a okay. And red means this meter is expired. And that way, as the little cop is like puttering about, you know, going along town, um, you know, they're, they're just looking for like blinking red lights. Um, and so I thought, huh, I wonder how much it would be to just get like a blinking green light. And then you just like hack it, right? If they're just, if they're far enough away from the street and they're not paying attention, you just put a blinking green light with a cap, right? Over the blinking red light. And then they don't see the blinking red. They just see the blinking green when they drive by. And you know, <laughs> if this, if this could be a thing, right? You know, rather than, you know, uh, Robin Hooding and feeding meters for people, uh, you just, you know, you just sell off these little green uh coverage lights and yeah everyone just you know if you if you park in town a lot like you know like uh m does apparently and this is how that meter operates right rather than having to rush out to feed the meter you know you just put the little green light blinking on there and then every time the cop drives by or the enforcement officer drives by uh they just they see a blinking green light and on they go to the next one um and i think it would be a great way to um, sabotage monkey wrench um interfere like, I wonder what the charge would be. Would it be like interfering with, you know, official police business or some sort of fraud charge or whatever? I'd be curious. But it would be fun, nonetheless, to have a little blinking green LED in place of their little blinking red one um, when they're when they're trying to do their enforcement job. Your thoughts? That would be an interesting touch. I, Yeah. <laughs> and I would just leave it at that. Well, alrighty then. Uh, anything else you wanted to, to say before we move on? Only I wanted to wish everyone happy holidays. Oh, Jesus, get out of here. Okay, um, so b- before we get to the, the regular headlines, there's one thing um, that I want to talk about because it's it's a big thing for me, um, and it's work-related, right? And that is, um, you know, I, I brought it up on the show before, so again, I don't want to rehash the, like, the whole big issue. Um, but it comes down to like, you know, it, it, the, the voluntary arrangement between employer and employee and, and what that entails. Um, so to recap very briefly, uh, one of the jobs that I have, um, I get off of work at a very, very specific time. Um, and I refuse to work, uh, beyond that time. And I have an agreement, you know, with the organization that I don't work beyond that time. Um, because the previous employer, uh, you know, decided to have an open-ended end time, which did not work for me. So I, I don't work there as often anymore, uh, and I don't work to the end. Um, but, you know, I, so it's a restaurant, um, and so, you know, my, my quitting time is fast approaching, and one of the, the servers decides to, like, seat customers, you know, with, like, five minutes to go uh, before quitting time. I go, well, if I, if I can make the food and clean up my station and get out on time, by all means, do what you want. 
you know, but I was, I was like, you know, by the time they got their order in, I was already off the clock, bags packed, walking out the door and she comes rushing in. It's like, Oh my God. Like they ordered so much, you know, like what, what, what are we going to do? I was like, not my problem. Um, and one of the head servers was like, well, someone, someone from the kitchen, you know, like there was a, a couple guys still working. It's like, you know, someone from the kitchen, uh, has to stay. And like, well, it's not going to be me. And off I went, you know, I didn't look back, didn't even care. don't even know how they resolved that situation. Um, just know that, you know, once I'm done, I'm done. And they've been previously warned, uh, about this situation, um, and then yesterday, uh, you know, one of my coworkers, you know, it's Friday night. Um, the restaurant actually was open late for the holidays, but uh, not important. Um, you know, Friday night there's usually two of us in the kitchen and one guy leaves at 10, um, and one, and I leave at 11. Like that's, that's quitting time for me. Um, and, but they, they brought in like a new, uh, like head chef quote unquote, um, to the restaurant to like kind of, you know, operate things through the holidays because it's busier and, and quite frankly, we, we need the help. Um, but it, like it rolled around to 10 o'clock and my coworker, like, you know, looks at me, he goes, you know, it's getting close to 10 o'clock and he goes like, it's okay if I leave at 10, right? I'm like, yeah, dude, do what you want. Like, I don't care. You know, by, by, by this hour, you know, the, the rush has ended. I don't usually need that much help and I just pretty much start cleaning up. So, you know, you usually leave at 10, just go ahead and, you know, take off. Um, and then he made the mistake of checking with the boss, right? The new boss, you know, when 10 o'clock rolled around, you know, like, Hey, it's, it's 10 o'clock. You know, can I, can I take off? Um, and he got told no. <laughs> and it was funny because like he, he kind of gave me a look and I kind of gave him a look and I was like, I don't know what you want me to do about it. You know? Um, but the boss like, you know, made him clean up and do a whole bunch of stuff. And I don't think he got out of there until close to like 10 30 ish. Um, if I remember correctly, but, you know, in, in the moments between, like, when he wanted to leave and when he was allowed to leave, you know, we had a, a brief conversation, you know, about my situation. I'm like, I don't even know why you asked, dude. He's like, well, I, I thought he would say yes. I'm like, that's why you don't ask. You know, he's like, well, w- one day, right? One day I'll pull a rich. I'm like, well, there's nothing about pulling a rich. You know, it's it's not pulling at anything, right? You know, like, I understand the sentiment, right? But it's it's like, that's the agreement right? If, if, if you were scheduled until 10 o'clock, right? When 10 o'clock rolls around, you fulfilled your obligation to the company for the day and off you go, you know? And, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to voluntarily stay behind to earn a little extra money, you know, that's on you and, you know, more power to you for that. Um, but if you want to go when it's your time to go and then you choose not to, you know, don't, don't huff and puff about it kind of, um, was my sentiment is like, well, you know what it is, what it is. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Um, but you can, you can bet your sweet ass that when 11 o'clock rolls around, uh, I'm going to be out that door, you know, regardless. Um, and then oddly enough, right. The, you know, uh, around, around the time that he left, um, you know, maybe like 1045 or so the, the new manager, uh, decided that, you know, he wanted to leave a little bit early cause he had to work, you know, the next morning as do most of us. Um, so he goes, okay, I leave now. I'm like, all right, fine by me, you know? And cause they, they told me like, um, the restaurant was open until two last night. So I'm like, well, that, then there's going to be like nobody in the kitchen though. Cause, cause I'm not staying, right. I'm not going to stay. Um, so he ended up like he, he, he tried to leave 
And then as I was getting ready to leave, he came back into the kitchen. He's like, I cannot leave. I'm like, why? What, what happened? He's like, big bosses are here. I need to stay. I'm like, sucks to be you too, because I'm definitely not staying. Um, so I think he stayed behind and then one other guy stayed behind to, you know, to, to close up the kitchen. Um, but again, it just, you know, it's, it's, this is, this is my little example and my hat tip, uh, my, my tip of the hat to, uh, ANCOMs and, and those who, uh, choose to voluntarily enter into unions, even though I'm not necessarily a big fan of unions as they, as they're currently run. Um, I do believe in the power of collective bargaining amongst workers who stand together rather than stand apart. Right. Um, and I think I, I do my best to lead by example in those situations and behave in a manner that is best for the employees, um, even if not the best for management or the company as a whole, um, because I've been taken advantage, you know, too many times, right? Like I, you know, I, I, I've done it and so I don't, uh, complain, you know, about it. Um, but I, you know, I have, have coworkers who show up. Um, and they'll put in work, um, before they clock in they go, well, it's got to get done. Someone's got to do it. And I'm, it's not my turn to do it yet. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just do it now. So it gets done. And then I'll clock in later. I go, all right. Like, you know, I've, I've done the volunteer work before and, you know, I've never worked for an organization that cares, you know, when it, when it's time for you to go, that cares about all the extra stuff, um, that you put in, you know, beyond being on the clock. Um, so it's not something I advocate. It's not something I do anymore. Um, and it kind of makes me sad to see other people do it. Right. Like, but again, I go like, well, your choice, you know, you could just see if you can clock in early and then do the work or just wait till you're, you know, on the clock to do it. Um, there's no reason for this, you know, volunteering at work when you should, when you ought to be getting paid, uh, in my, in my opinion, nonsense, um, so there's my little two cents on that. And I don't think that would happen again, if more workers, uh, stood together, uh, rather than standing apart. And I know it's a difficult thing to do because everyone goes, well, I got bills to pay and I got to take care of this and I got to take care of that. And I got to, and I got to, um, and they're shortchanging themselves in the long run. Whereas if they were, you know, to stand together, uh, in the short run, it may be a little bit worse off, you know, in the interim. But the long-term benefits, I think, outweigh those short-term costs. Um, do you have any experience with this, M, uh, or anything to add to that? No, not really. All right, good. Headlines. Uh, 2017 was safest year for cops in nearly 50 years, but citizens killed by cops are at epidemic levels. Uh, headline. New London, Connecticut prosecutes local artists for bamboo it deems a blight. Headline, rule of law, order versus justice. Uh, headline, hero cops kidnap 80-year-old couple, steal their Christmas presents, and arrest them for having a plant. And finally, headline, a 14-year-old charged with child porn for giving pictures of herself to her boyfriend. Now, any place in particular you want to start this week, M? Um, which was the one with the bamboo? Uh, New London, Connecticut prosecutes local artists for bamboo it deems a blight. Yes, that one. All right. Carlos Carrion, an artist who lives in New London, Connecticut, has been growing bamboo on his property for 30 years. Only recently has the city deemed it a crime. 
uh, depending on whom you ask, the city's sudden concern about Carrion's bamboo patch stems from his failure to maintain it properly or from his outspokenness as a critic of eminent domain abuse and arbitrary land use regulation. Uh, Carrion was an opponent of the misbegotten redevelopment plan that led to the 2005 Supreme Court decision in Kilo versus New London which upheld the use of eminent domain to condemn homes that supposedly stood in the way of an economic revival that never materialized. More recently, he has turned his attention to the city's blight ordinance, which authorizes criminal fines of up to $250 a day, as well as civil fines up to $100 per day. Uh, Carrion defended Maggie Redfern, deputy director of the Connecticut College Arboretum in New London, who was accused of creating blight by designing an ecological landscape featuring native plants in her yard. A, a blight hearing officer sided with Redfern, declaring her yard exactly the opposite of a neglected or abandoned property. Carrion has had less success defending his bamboo grove, which he says he keeps as a memorial to the Vietnam veteran who gave him the original plant. I eat it, construct furniture, it's a home for the birds, he said at the Redfern's blight hearing. The bamboo I grow is not invasive. I maintain the plants. It stays within the perimeter of my property, and yet it's considered to be a blight? Uh, the city deemed the bamboo a blight under Section 302.4 of the New London Property Maintenance Code, which prohibits all grasses, annual plants, and vegetation, aside from trees, shrubs, and cultivated flowers and gardens, that are more than 10 inches high. Uh, because the city says Carrion has failed to comply with the code after repeated warnings, he has been hit with the $13,500 in fees and civil penalties, and the cost will climb higher if the criminal prosecution is successful. Uh, Carrion's lawyer, former New London Mayor uh, Daryl Finizio, argues that the bamboo grove does not actually violate the property maintenance code, presumably because it qualifies as a cultivated garden. Uh, Carrion says he keeps the plants trimmed back so they do not invade other people's property, a point the city seems to dispute. According to the city's complaint, Carrion's entire lawn is covered with a thick growth of bamboo, the height of which extends at least 20 feet, extending beyond, above the power lines. Uh, the bamboo has also crept into the yards of other homes and was coming into contact with the power lines themselves. The bamboo is so thick, it's nearly impossible to traverse through. Uh, impingement on neighbors' properties and entanglements with power lines are legitimate issues that could be addressed by trimming the plants. But the sheer height, breadth, and density of the bamboo seems like purely aesthetic concerns. Uh, whether Carrion's plants constitute a cultivated garden or a bunch of weeds is in the eye of the beholder. Finizio suggests Carrion's prosecution is punishment for his activism. It seems inexplicable that suddenly Carlos Carrion and his bamboo have become public enemy number one of the city of New London, he told The Day, a local newspaper. Uh, my client also believes that as an outspoken critic of eminent domain during those public debates in our city, and because of his outspoken involvement in other city blight cases, that he is being targeted in a retributive way uh, by the city of New London. Uh, end of the article. So your thoughts, M, uh, on maybe eminent domain in general, uh, but also... Um, who can do what uh, with private property? Well, I really, really, really like bamboo, the bamboo plant. Um, I think it's beautiful. Here in Hawaii, there's actually bamboo forests that people go and hike and meditate uh, around. So I think it's 
actually really neat that someone's growing bamboo in their yard. And if it's in their property, I think they should be able to do whatever they want. I think the whole thing is really just absurd and ridiculous. That's it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the... I just wanted to understand what was going on with the bamboo. I, it is kind of to each their own, because I think if this happened somewhere else, people wouldn't care. Well, I think the article makes it pretty clear that the reason they care is because of his activism, right? I mean, he's he again. This kind of goes back to what I said about the you know employees versus employers, right? When you put yourself out there as an activist, you're you know trying to make uh, larger changes for the betterment of society, at least in your mind, right? Not not all activism is good activism, um, but when you put yourself out there uh, without you know a, a ton of support behind you. Um, then you, you know, you, you, you know, strap the target onto your back and put the bullseye on your chest, so to speak, uh, get hit from both sides, um, you know, in, in, in the eyes of the state, cause then they can come after you and they will, uh, do whatever they can and attack you from, like I said, all angles, uh, to, to get you to, you know, fall into compliance. Um, so, you know, if, if the bamboo, and I agree with the article, right? If the bamboo is like touching the power lines or infringing on the neighbor's property, then, then that could be an issue. Um, I don't even want to say it is an issue. Uh, maybe the power lines is an issue, but if the neighbors like don't mind, or if you have a, a deal, you know, with your neighbors, um, to, to allow your plants or your garden to extend a little bit onto their land and they don't have a complaint against that, well then neither should the state, right? Neither, neither should the city, neither should the town. Um, but to speak out against eminent domain, uh, which basically, which if you don't know is, you know, being abused all over, uh, the country at this point, beyond what its original scope was, you know, designed to do, um, which I still wouldn't agree with, right? Like I, I, I wouldn't, de- I wouldn't defend the concept of eminent domain under any circumstances. Um, but in this case, it's definitely being abused, uh, and even more so because they're they're not even trying to take his land, right? They're basically using his activism and his uh, his speaking out against eminent domain as a way, you know, as as a reason to to go after his bamboo garden. Which, if he's been, you know, like you said, if he's been growing for thirty years, right? It, it's unlikely that all of a sudden it's become an issue. Um, the other thing, the other you know thing that I wanted to say about this article was. Um, you know, again, they, they talk about, you know, private property and what you can and cannot do with your own land. And I think that's another, that's another big issue at hand, right? Is, is, you know, city ordinances and blight ordinances in general, right? Like those, those should not exist either, right? If, if it's your property, then you get to choose what to do with it. And if it's not your property, well then, you know, then whose is it? Number one, and why are you paying for it? Number two, right? In, in terms of like property tax and land tax and all that other nonsense. Um, so if it's, you know, so what, what I'm saying is if it's your property, no matter what it is, no matter if it's, even if it is just weeds, right? Or weed in general, um, or, you know, cars, you know, pounded into the, your, into the earth in your front yard or, or whatever redneck hillbilly thing you, you can imagine uh, people would do on their property. Um, if it's yours, it's yours. And if your neighbors had a problem with it, um, you know, too bad, so sad for them. Um, 
one of the big complaints I hear locally when it comes to like, you know, property and development is like, you know, uh, a new condo goes up and then the people in the other condo go like, no, they should not be able to build a condo there because it's, it's blocking my view of the beautiful mountains and the beautiful ocean. And, and I want to be able to see all that beautiful, that beautiful land. And I go, well, you had your chance, right? Like, you know, you, you and all your other condo goers who like the view, uh, could have used the opportunity to buy up all the land, uh, between your condo and the view, uh, so that no one could erect a structure in front of you. Um, but you chose not to, so it's not yours. You don't get to tell the new owner what to do, right? You know, you, you didn't buy the view, you bought the land. There's no, there's no property rights to like, to viewing things, right? You know, it's, it, it's either there and you can naturally you know, you exercise your right to see it. Um, but you don't get to tell other people that they, they can't build in there because then you won't be able to see it. Um, so I think, I think there needs to be a better understanding of property rights in general, uh, and, and what those, you know, quote unquote rights entail. Um, and again, I don't, I don't want to have the discussion on whether or not rights actually exist. I just, I just don't cause I could, and I don't want to go there, but if you want to go there, call into the show when we're doing the live show and we can talk about that. Cause I don't mind having that discussion. I just, I want to be able to use the term rights here the way most people understand them. Um, and when we talk about, uh, property rights, it's the, uh, it's the ability to control uh, your property as you see fit without the infringement of any other individual or state apparatus. Uh, in this case, you know, the state telling him what he cannot, cannot do and grow in his yard. Um, and my other example, you know, what uh, landowners can build or not build on their property. Um, any more thoughts on that, M? No, not at this moment. All righty then. Uh, which article do you want to get to next? Rule of law, order versus justice. All right. Reading into the article, one of the most important factors that generates pros that generate prosperity is rule of law, which means having an objective set of laws that apply to everyone. A rule of law provides the incentive for people to engage in productive activity so they can prosper themselves by producing value for others. In the absence of rule of law, institutions favor some people over others, and entrepreneurial in individuals have the incentive to look for ways to join the favored group that benefit themselves through activities that impose cost on others. Rule of law removes the opportunity to prosper through connections and cronyism, and creates opportunities to prosper through mutually advantageous exchange. A legal system designed to protect individual rights will rest heavily on restitutions for victim who has had their rights violated. This is explained well by Bruce Benson and Murray Rothbard, among others. Uh, justice is served when people who have had their rights violated receive restitutions as compensation for the harm they have suffered. Government legal systems are typically designed to punish those who violate the rights of others, not provide restitutions to their victims. If a person is assaulted, has a family member murdered, or is injured by a drunk driver, the legal system will punish the rights, the rights violator, but provide no compensation for those whose rights are violated. Uh, the motivation for law enforcement for those in the ruling class is to produce an orderly society of compliant citizens. The ruling class needs a productive economy to produce tax revenues they can spend and needs compliant citizens who will pay those taxes when asked and who will obey government regulations when they are issued. Uh, 
They accomplish this by clearly displaying that when people violate the rules, they will be punished. Uh, Compensation for victims provides no real benefit to the ruling class. The ruling class benefits from law and order and receives no benefit from justice. Uh, The ruling class wants citizens to believe that they will suffer if they violate the rules, but has nothing to gain if people believe they will receive restitutions if their rights are violated. If rule of law means an objective set of laws that apply to everyone that does not specify what those laws are, a rights-based approach to legal design would focus on compelling rights violators to provide restitutions to their victims, Uh, but the ruling class has little incentive to design rules that provide justice to the masses. Uh, Their incentive is to maintain law and order so that citizens will fear the consequences of violating government's rules. This is why government law is oriented towards punishment and not restitution. Uh, so your thoughts, M, on the purpose uh, of the government legal system, I guess, uh, versus what could happen uh, in its absence as far as being more of a justice-based system than a law-based system? Well, okay, I just want to clarify your question because you said absence of government, but then when you were saying justice system, what would create like what would be the justice system with a government there would be a different government that provides justice system or who would be providing the justice system um there there are whole books designed towards uh what would happen in the absence of a state-run you know justice system so i don't want to get into all the different theories on how that could be Um, but one of the biggest ones is that of voluntary arbitration um where you know if you if you have a contract with an individual and you violate the the contract uh, you take them to a third party arbitrator um, who can then you know decide who's right and who's wrong uh, in the case of you know like a, a mugger or a robber or a, you know one of a, a violent crime type of thing um, absent the state you would still you would still likely end up uh, with security services who would apprehend um, the, per- the perceived perpetrator um, and then, you know, take responsibility if they get the wrong guy, right? Like that, that's a whole nother ball of wax that we'd have to get into. Uh, but basically, you know, they, 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 your security agency uh, apprehends the, the person who victimized you and then gives him the option of, of going to an arbitrator uh, to decide, you know, what to do with him next. Uh, and then, you know, the, 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 the big question becomes like, well, what if they decide they don't want to go in front of an arbitrator? Um, well, in my personal opinion, uh, you kill them on the spot. Um, you know, just, just because that's the way I feel that's in, in my world, the, the ultimate arbiter is always violence. And I believe that people will seek peaceful means to arbitrate differences, to avoid death. Um, and if, if someone, you know, has, has violated you and you can prove, and, and, you know, they don't, and they, they believe that they did not violate you, then it would be in their best interest to go before an arbitrator and prove their case because then they can collect damages from you. So the only reason someone would, you know, avoid arbitration, um, in my opinion, is presumed guilt. Right. And if they go like, well, you can't do anything to me because I don't want to go to your arbitration. Well, if they have absolutely violated your rights, you know, to to life, liberty, property or anything like that, 
um, you have the absolute right to reclaim those by any means necessary. Uh, and if the person who you're trying to claim those from uh, refuses a, a nonviolent means to uh, to come to terms with the violation, um, then I, I am fully in support of a, a swift and painful death. Um, does that answer your question as to what could take the place of the modern-day court system? It, it does. I was just wondering. Well, but I have a question. So what if the person who is saying like it, it you know okay so let's say joe down the street you know hurt me or i think joe down the street hurt me right but it wasn't really joe and he refuses to go because he just he knows it's not him and he just doesn't want to go and then something happens to joe but i was wrong then what then you face the same penalties right like if, if joe did nothing wrong he is motivated to go to arbitration and to prove his case because if he takes the time to go to arbitration and is found to be in the right then you are responsible for all costs that joe incurred through that entire endeavor so you're going to be on the hook financially to him um, if he decides to go to arbitration to defend himself and wins which would again incentivize you to make sure that you are absolutely sure that it was indeed Joe. Otherwise, you become financially liable for the uh, the false uh, prosecution of Joe in this case. Well, if someone falsely accused me and some random security company came after me, I wouldn't exactly want to go. Like, what if I don't trust them? Which is fine. And again, this is why I don't want to get into the whole discussion about this. Because then you would call your security company... And then they would have a discussion and go to a, uh, an arbiter that both your security companies trust, right? It's like the arbiter and your arbiter pick a third arbiter to go to. And, and down the rabbit hole we go. Uh, and again, they've written whole books on this. So if, if this is an area that you want to learn more, uh, get at me off the air and I will point you in the direction of resources uh, where you can, you know, flush this out entirely. But we're getting way off topic of what my original question was, was your thoughts on a more justice-based system uh, as opposed to a law and order governmental system. Okay, well, thank you for answering some of my questions. I understand your question now. Um, I do think that a more justice-based system would be more humane. I, I think there's a lot of our culture that's pointed towards punishment-based um, methods, which I don't always agree with. I don't think they're conducive, especially with kids. We start um, teaching kids by punishing them at very young ages, and I think it's very ingrained in us. And so I think that how our government is is just a reflection of what we're already doing, whether actually the U.S. government exists or not. I think people would still be using punishment methods. I saw an interesting meme on Facebook earlier today and said like, if, if uh, corporal punishment for children worked, uh, it would only have to be done once. Um, and if it, if it, if hitting your child is your go-to method of punishment, um, by default, uh, it should be evident and clear that that method of punishment, you know, doesn't work. Um, 
I think, you know, if, if you look at uh, recidivism rates of people that, you know, have been punished by the law, right, it's, it's not as good as you would expect it to be if it was more of a restitution-based system. Um, so in, in my example that we gave and where I had to flush it out a little bit, you know, if, if someone, you know, commits a crime, gets busted for it, and cannot prove their innocence... Right. And I know it's like innocent until proven guilty, but it, you know, works both ways, uh, in the, in the absence of, you know, the, the state, um, then they're on the hook, right. Then they, there's the, the financial liability and the financial incentive, um, you know, or the financial liability, I guess that they would have to pay back, uh, any damages that they caused. Um, I also believe, again, like I said, in the absence of the state, uh, once you find that you've been damaged and you can clearly identify, you know, the, the perpetrator in that um, you are well within your rights, like your natural human rights to reacquire whatever you feel has been lost or whatever you can prove has been lost by any means necessary. And I think because most people aren't um, capable uh, of violence or, you know, or willing to, to perform acts of violence uh, in order to get back what they've lost, uh, it's why I do see, uh, you know, I, I can see the ne- necessity of a security force in the future uh, absent the state, right? Like you wouldn't want, you yourself may not be capable of going after, you know, the, the mugger, right? If, if you're, you know, if you're the, the average individual working, you know, your uh, typical, you know, white collar job, right? The, the likelihood is you don't have the training or capacity to go after the mugger yourself, uh, but luckily for you, the market provides, right, a security service who can go after the mugger for you. Um, and knowing the consequence or the, you know, the potential consequence uh, of getting caught, you know, the, you know, the, the mugger may decide uh, to defend himself in arbitration. Or, as you said, you know, if he doesn't trust you, your security company's arbiters, uh, will hire his own uh, to, you know, to, you know, to flush it out and, and to, to be on his side, uh, even though they shouldn't be a side. But, you know, if, whoever you trust, right? If you can get those things lined up, um, then he, you know, will likely be found guilty, um, not only by your arbiter, but by his arbiter and by the third-party arbiter that they all decide on to together. Um, and then he would have to pay back. So it's not like he would then be arrested and thrown in jail and get his three meals a day and his, you know, uh, comfy little cot off to the side and his cable television, which was like a big, ah, criminal shouldn't have cable TV, right? He would, you know, have to go to work and become basically an indentured servitude for the duration of time it takes him to, to pay back, uh, what would, what went missing. Um, and it's, if it's simply, you know, a, a violent, uh, offense, like uh, an assault, right, where there's no financial damage, well, then that would be left up to the arbiters to decide, uh, how the restitution would be repaid. Um, I'm not, I'm not calling for an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth of anything like that. Um, but again, there's whole books written on this subject. So I don't want to speculate as to how exactly each individual scenario that you can think of will play out. Uh, but I trust that the market will provide, um, services that will handle those things and decide on the cons and on the consequences, uh, for violating the, the rights of another for, you know, taking their life, liberty, uh, or property from someone else. Um, and the payment should be swift. Um, and like I said, uh, you know, since, since in my personal worldview, um, the ultimate arbiter is always violence. Um, I don't mind getting to there quicker, uh, you know, if, if, and if, and when necessary. 
Um, you know, and, and I've said this before, as far as like my personal philosophy, I think most people within the human condition, uh, you know, the, the natural instinct is survival, um, and, and wanting to live. And I think that's why a lot of people, number one, uh, get run over by the state, uh, because it's, it's easier to live in slavery than to die a free man. Um, but I think it's in that, that natural human condition to stay alive uh, that would cause pe- that that already causes people to seek nonviolent solutions um, and win-win situations in most situations rather than you know always duking it out uh, at the first time conflict arises. Any more thoughts on that? No. All right, moving on. Headline: 2017 was safest year for cops in nearly 50 years. But citizens killed by cops are at an epidemic levels. Uh, Data from 2017 reveals that the idea that there is a war on cops is nothing more than police propaganda. As the number of officers killed in the line of duty dropped to the second lowest total in more than 50 years. Conversely, there were over a thousand people killed by cops for the fourth year in a row, according to the website killedbypolice.net, which operates a database of individuals killed by law enforcement officers. According to data from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, a nonprofit aimed at honoring officers and improving safety, as of December 28th, uh, in 2017, 128 officers died in the line of duty, 44 of which were shot and killed. 2016, 143 officers died, with 66 being gunned down, uh, meaning one-third fewer officers died of gunshot wounds. Uh, The only other year there were fewer police officers deaths in nearly the last five decades was 2013 with a total of 116 officers died in the line of duty Uh, this is one of those good news bad news situations says craig floyd president and chief executive of national law enforcement officers memorial fund on one hand you have 128 officers who made the ultimate sacrifice uh, showing the cost of public safety but for the first time since 2013 the number of deaths has actually declined Uh, It's also important to keep in mind that although 128 officers died in the line of duty in 2017, 47 of these deaths were traffic-related, while another 16 were due to illness entirely unrelated to the job. According to a report from USA Today, while shootings played a big role, traffic accidents caused the largest number of deaths. Uh, Crashes killed 47 officers this year, down 15% from 2016. A number of factors, including enhanced policies that limit vehicle pursuits and speeding and the move-over law, uh, which require drivers to slow down and switch lanes when an officer is pulled over, could be behind the drop, experts say. Uh, Across the U.S., ambush-style attacks killed eight officers in 2017, a decrease from a jarring 21 such deaths of 2016. The largest number of fatal shootings this year occurred while officers responded to domestic disturbances. Uh, Randy Sutton, a former police lieutenant and a spokesman for Blue Lives Matter, an advocacy group that supports law enforcement, said multiple reasons likely led to the drop in killings, including a change in how officers approach arrests because of the controversial high-profile shootings in recent years. Officers don't put themselves in dangerous situations as often, he said. Uh, There is a saying in law enforcement, you can't get into trouble for the cars... Uh, the car stop you don't make, he said. They don't want to be the next Ferguson, the next officer burned at the, on the stake. Uh, within the words of Sutton is a beautiful admission. 
Uh, when police choose not to engage in fishing expeditions and don't make unnecessary stops, they have a lesser likelihood of things going dangerously awry for both the officer and the unfortunate citizens they come into contact with. Ironically, Floyd said there have been significant improvements in de-escalation training, which seems odd given the 1,000-plus people killed by cops the past four years running. One would reasonably assume that improved de-escalation training would result in fewer citizens being killed by police, not near record numbers yearly. Uh, Floyd presciently noted that there has been a continual downward shift in the number of officers killed going all the way back to the late 70s, which negates the oft-repeated war on cops mantra uh, espoused by the thin blue line. In my 33 years doing this, I've never seen the amount of awareness given to officer safety and wellness, he said. Uh, That's definitely been paying off and will continue to help make law enforcement a significantly safer profession. Uh, So while inordinate attention is given to officer safety, resulting in the safest time to be a cop in nearly the past five decades, the same cannot be said of the citizenry that comes into contact with police. When 44 cops in shot are killed in a year, while the same period a whopping 1,177 Americans are killed by cops, perhaps it's time to focus on de-escalation techniques that not only save officer lives, but also the lives of the public they are allegedly sworn to protect and serve. There's clearly no war on cops, but it still it sure looks like there's a war on the American people. Um, so again, you, you started off the show talking about uh, your almost interaction with cops in parking situations uh, but what are your thoughts on them in these types of other traffic pullovers or domestic uh, incidents where they are in the line of duty so to speak um well i i kind of almost feel like you have more experience in this matter because i don't have a lot of interaction with police in general i can't really remember the last time i've actually had to talk with a police officer well, I, I read one story, but I'm sure if you have any, you know, type of awareness with the news, right, there are a multitude of stories around, even recently, where, you know, cops are attacking citizens or breaking into the wrong houses and killing unarmed individuals or sicking their dogs on, you know, handcuffed citizens uh, and the like. So, you know, you, you again, this we talked about this on the previous show as well. Um, this may be an isolated incident, uh, but it happens too often to be considered so. Um, so knowing all of this, you know, what what do you think should be done or could be done uh, regarding police violence towards citizens? I honestly don't have an answer on what could be done. I think that what's happening isn't working. You know, I can definitely see that what what the police are doing and how things are being handled, you know, isn't exactly ideal. Unfortunately, I personally don't have an answer on how to correct this. And also because I don't have many personal experiences with them, uh, I mean, like, which I guess is a good thing, you know, like I kind of just don't really deal with police officers. Um, I Well, aren't you lucky? that I really can't speak too much to it. I do think that the whole situation is unfortunate, but I really can't think of an answer. And I know that you had spoken about books earlier in the podcast to read about, and you were talking about security companies. So I probably would want to go and check out more of those types of readings. Uh, It sounds like they would have good models of what would be alternative methods. 
Well, if you're just talking about like alternative methods to the police, um, you know, just go to the mall, right? And or or any sort of like shopping facility where there are security guards on the premise, right? And then those security guards are private security officers for the property owner. In this case, you know, the mall, right? the 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 only difference between the security guard and the police officer. Um, is the level of force authorized to them by the state, right? So when a, a situation becomes um, violent or out of control at the mall, uh, the security guard can do like do their best uh, to to you know uh, subdue the you know the the violator, uh, but they don't have the same authority as police. So they end up having to like call the police and then detain the individual as best they can. Right. And a lot of times I know, um, you know, I've had security guard friends and they go and they basically I'm going to it's not their words. So these are my words. Um, they basically admitted like it's kind of a scam on their part when they detain someone um, like they don't they don't have the authority to actually detain you. Uh, but what they do is pretend like they do. Right. So when the security guard goes, no, 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 sit right there until the police get here, they can't actually make you sit there. Right. So if, if you get, you know, like, if you know, it, it's a property rights thing. So I'm not going to I don't want to get into that either. Um, but if you're like walking out of Walmart and the security guard says, hey, stop for a minute, you don't have to listen. And there's nothing he can do about it except call the police. And then you have you, you can either wait, you know, for the police to get there or just be on your way. Right. There's there's nothing stopping them. Um, and I would say that in the absence of the police, if, if we're, if we're going there, right. Those police, those security officers would have, you know, the authority vested to them by the property owner, uh, to detain you. If, you know, if there's evidence of a crime, right? Like if, if, if they saw you steal something as you're walking out the door, well, then the property owner has a right to get their belongings back. Um, and they can contract with the security firm, uh, to do just that. Right. So it's, it's, a What's what I'm looking for? It's a passing on of rights, right? It's an extension. It's it's bestowing on the on their agent. It's agency. That's the word. Uh, as an agent uh, to the property owner, the security guard, you know, is bestowed upon themselves the same rights that the property owner would have uh, against any sort of trespass or violation. Um, but what they wouldn't do, right, is get out of control like the police force has done. Because the other thing that separates security guards from the actual police force um, is, you know, liability, right? And liability on on the property owner um, should damage, you know, should they damage you uh, for a non-crime, right? Like if they think you stole something, um, but you didn't, right? And they, you know, they, they tackle you as you're going out the door and they search you and they don't find anything, well, then the security firm is on the hook and the property owner is on the hook financially liable to you this time instead of the other way around. Um, so I think absent the, and the police aren't right. The police have have no personal liability whatsoever. Um, and, you know, just like we talked about justice in the prison systems, you know, before, um, because they have no liability, even when they get in trouble um, and someone sues the police and they got like, oh, my God, this victim got like a, you know, hundred thousand or a million dollar judgment against them. Uh, the individual officer in the police department is the one to pay. It's taxpayers that pay, right? It, 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 the the expense gets passed along to the general citizenry. Um, so I would think that you know, with security firms, um, 
having you know financial liability absent police and absent the state, uh, you would see more tact uh, in you know in apprehension of of uh, potential criminals or potential violators before the truth can be, you know, can be established. Uh, and just like we talked about justice and arbitration, right. Then if, you know, if you're walking out of Walmart, um, uh, and they say, stop, well, you know, you can bill them for that time, you know, if, if they decide to, to go to arbitration, um, you had something else to say? Well, I would, I actually disagree about the security companies and I don't know if they would actually work. And the reason why I'm saying that is when I was in my twenties, I went to a lot of nightclubs and I saw a lot of bouncers, which I guess would be the form of the security in that case, um, do a lot of violent things to people. I mean, I saw them slam people on their front, like of their face while holding their hands back and like blood was coming down. I thought it was over excessive because there was like four security guys and like one kind of drunk guy, which I mean, the drunk guy is annoying, but does he really deserve to get his face slammed into the floor? No, but he should definitely have filed lawsuit, civil and criminal uh, against those people uh, after the fact, right? Like if, and, and get witnesses, right? If everyone saw it, right? Then once, once those private security guards attack, they're now liable uh, for damages they cause above and beyond what it would take uh, to remove a disorderly guy from the nightclub. I understand that. But Do you? I understand that if you let me finish what I was trying to say, which was... Which was? I don't think that that would happen. I think some people would still get out of hand. Like I think the people who get out of hand and do bad things, no matter what job they're in that's what they're going to do it's not indicative necessarily to that job now this is not saying that i'm agreeing or disagreeing with the how the police are but what i am saying is i can see you know with private security companies i can see a lot of people kind of turning into like maybe possibly their own vigilantes which i think is just as ridiculous right and and the way it currently is, the people with violent tendencies naturally gravitate to jobs where they can be violent, right? Which is why they end up in the military, which is why they end up in the police. And sure, it, it absent those uh, avenues, right, they may look towards security firms. But what I'm saying is there's there's an issue of liability that goes along with that. And you you don't know what happened with the drunk guy at the nightclub, right? Maybe he did sue, right? Maybe he did get some financial damage from the private property owner, um, but it didn't make headlines. Maybe those security guards, you know, were were reprimanded in some, you know, some form or fashion. Um, but what I'm saying is, absent the police force, there would be more liability and damage claims issued to those people, right? They they would they would be the ones held responsible. Um, so if you're talking about violent people gravitating to those types of jobs, well, sure. But the moment they get violent and start causing, you know, damage claims to be brought against themselves and the property owner, uh, again, if they don't pay out and they don't go to arbitration, uh, then they can simply be eliminated from society. And I'm also okay with that, right? Again, not a pacifist, not nonviolent, but if someone gets excessively violent and refuses to go to arbitration, um, you know, there, there's always a bigger, badder dog and, and, you know, strength in numbers. You just take them out and eliminate them. Problem solved. Well, that's easy for you to say, but the guy who got his face smashed in has already had his face smashed in. Yeah, and and, and again, we're not we're not 
proposing a solution that ends violence, right? We're not proposing a solution that stops that. Uh, but just like, again, the other article where it was, uh, you know, justice versus uh, criminal penalty, right? The, the person who got his face smashed in is owed something. And the, the best way, the only way we know how to make them whole again in, in you know, modern thought, right, is financially. And that carries weight, right? If you're, if you're a security guard uh, making, you know, $15 an hour and you have to pay damage claims because you were excessively violent with someone uh, in excess of, you know, $100,000 of medical costs and you got to work two or three years to pay that guy back, you might think twice first about smashing his face in number one and definitely will think twice about doing it again number two given the opportunity. And if you do so and aren't able to, you know, financially pay back and bring justice uh, to the table, right, then you're simply eliminated by, you know, the, and, and anyone that that victim can then hire uh, to, to get what is owed to him. It sounds like a making of that movie that I can't think of right now, but it sounds like a movie. Sure, because absent police, right, when you get back to, you know, black market dealings, it, it always resorts to violence because there's no other way. There's no other better way to solve problems with violent people, right? You, you, you can take their money. Uh, you can hold them, you know, hostage, if you will, until they pay. Um, but a, in my opinion, you speak their language and you speak it louder and more often to them. Um, and that's why I'm okay with, you know, with the, the death penalty for people who don't want to look who for people who don't want to seek out nonviolent means of coming to an agreement. I'm okay with death. Oh, I know the movie. It sounds like Godfather. Yeah. See black market dealings. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'd want to be in Godfather. Why not? It's unsettling. The movie made me a little unsettled. In what way? It just did. So you're unsettled by The Godfather because in their world, violence was a solution and you don't want violence to be a solution? Not really. So what's the problem then? Like if you're not going about seeking harm to anybody and you're willing to search for nonviolent solutions to conflict, right? In The Godfather, who were they going after uh, innocent people who were just living their lives, you know, going about their business nonviolently, vol voluntarily interacting with each other? Yes, that's how a lot of The Godfather people got made. If you look at the trilogy, the 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 original godfather his family was being what is it called shaken down by a, a mafioso so and he couldn't fight back and there was nothing he could do so he decided to get into organized crime because violence is the solution well that type of crime is built on everyday people and just and what is the word just not um taking money from them extortion so like the cops do now i guess so so your problem with the Godfather is the way they made their money was the same way that the cops and bureaucrats make their money now. And you don't want to live in that world yet. You do. 
No, what it was was I was responding because you said as long as I go about and mind my business and I'm peaceful, nothing will happen to me. And I said, I don't agree with that. Well, again, right there, I think you're extrapolating way too far, right? Again, I'm not saying absent the police, everyone will be peaceful, right? I, I will admit that it's not a utopian fantasy that we're trying to deal with. Will there be bad people? Yes, there will be bad people. Can you eliminate them from society altogether? No, you cannot. So to suppose that my solution is unfeasible simply because bad people will still exist is asinine of a response, right? Because you already exist in that world. You already exist in a world where the way the, the, the security firms make their money is by extorting people on a daily basis, right? There's an entire class of people who make their money extorting people on a daily basis. And you live in that world and you're extorted from on a daily basis because I'm sure you pay your taxes, right? When you, when you have to pay your $35 parking fine for missing 50 cents, you have been extorted from. So if you're telling me that you don't want to live in that world, well, go fucking kill yourself then because you already do. Okay. Anything else? No. All right. We're running low on time. That'll do it for us. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, facebook.com slash anarchistexperience. Uh, we do the show prep, post that in the groups, facebook.com slash groups slash anarchistexperience. And if you want to contribute to the show financially, we do that through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week and next year. Peace.